Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, the parable of the sower. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? Then how will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the words, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. The word of the Lord. Good morning. As Elliot noted in his prayer, it's been a heavy week. For some of you, it's heavy because you have people that you love that are connected with one of those tragedies. For some, it brings up emotions around our own Colorado tragedies, whether it be the uh, shootings at Columbine or at the Aurora Theater. Other people may be struggling with things going on at work, relationships that have gone awry. There's the chance that we're coming into this room feeling really heavy. So I just want to start by praying for us this morning because I think God has some things that he wants to say to us. And it's hard to hear that sometimes when we're feeling that heaviness. So let me pray for us. God, as Elliot prayed earlier, it is hard to understand sometimes why the things happen in our world that do. But God, what we know is that regardless of the circumstances, that you are the king who is still on his throne and that you love your children. God, would you remind us of that truth this morning? And as we now step into today's passage, God, would you please give us ears to hear your message, your good news, your living word. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So a couple years ago, I went to my 25-year high school reunion. How many of you have gone to a reunion of some sort? It can be the 10-year, 15, 20, 25. 
How many of you are like, there is no way that I would go to my high school reunion? <laughs> yeah. Um, what was interesting to me is I went with a girlfriend, and we, we made a little bit of a game out of guessing who the people were. Because, you know, people change over 25 years. And I lost because I spent an hour talking to a guy, nice guy, really enjoyed hearing about what he was doing these days. There weren't ever any hints as to how we knew each other back in high school. And so he walked away, and I looked at my girlfriend and said, who was that? And it ended up being a guy that was in, like, my closest circle of friends. I just did not recognize him at all. Because we change, right? Over 25 years, we change physically. I thought out of fairness I would show you my picture 25-plus years ago now. I'm the one on the left, in case you're confused by that. This is me my senior year in high school when I worked at Showbiz Pizza Place, which is now Chuck E. Cheese. Yes, I was Chuck E. Cheese. Thought I would tell you one story about that. So when, you, when it was your turn to be the character, you had to dress up, and you weren't allowed to talk, so you had to kind of do nonverbal communication with the kids. So I went out. It was this little boy's birthday party. I think it was he was five. And so I go out, and we, they sing happy birthday. And then I lean down to kind of, you know, say hi. And in that moment, his hand got stuck between the chair and the big uh, mask I had on. And it pinched his hand. And he proceeded to yell out, Chuck E. Cheese bit me! And all of the kids broke into screaming and ran away from me. <laughs> uh, I don't work at Chuck E. Cheese anymore. <laughs> Because I've been transformed. Things have changed in my life, and I, that was my life years ago, but it's not my life anymore. What was interesting, even more so than the physical changes that had happened to people since that reunion, was the people that had shifted and had changed kind of internally and those who hadn't. Though there were some people that were in their 40s, they were all in their 40s, but there were some people that, you know, they had moved on. And then there were other people who were still acting the way that they did and thinking the way they did when they were 17 and 18. So it prompted a question in me. Why is it that some of us have the ability to change and transform? And why at times do we get stuck? We're in the midst of our Mark series where we're going through the book of Mark and we're learning about the person of Jesus and this kingdom that he brought with him that he established while he was here on earth. And I want to give you a little bit of backdrop of what's happened the last couple weeks because we need it to really understand this parable of the sower that we're going to talk about today. So back in chapters 1 and 2, we read about Jesus. Um, he gets baptized by John the Baptist and that really launches his ministry. So he begins traveling around with his disciples, um, he's healing people, he's gaining followers, more and more people are intrigued by who this person is. So he's kind of, people are really excited about him. They've got a lot of good things to say about this Jesus person. Then we get to chapter 3 and things start to change. And there are three groupings of people that start to see Jesus a bit differently. Larry talked about these last week, but I want to review them quickly because they play into our story. The first are the Pharisees and the religious leaders. If you remember last week, the Pharisees were there when Jesus healed a man that had a shriveled hand, but he healed him on a Sabbath. And that really upset the Pharisees. 
Now, we tend to think of the Pharisees and we say, they are something else. But we're, we're Pharisees too. And let me tell you why. The reason that the Pharisees were so, up, so upset about Jesus healing on, on a Sabbath was because they had grown up their whole lives knowing that the law that God gave was the law that they were supposed to obey. They were doing exactly what they had been taught to do their whole lives. So all of a sudden, Jesus comes into the picture, and he threatens not only their religious structure and convictions, but they, he threatens their economic, and, um, their economic structure as well. So all of a sudden, they're confused. The other thing you need to know is that Jesus wasn't the only one walking around teaching people. It was fairly common at that time that there were other people claiming to, to know truth. And so from the Pharisees' perspective, they had the job of making sure that this Jesus person wasn't being a heretic, and that's what they claimed. So when they set out and started to plot against him to kill him, they did not believe who he said he was. Later, in that same chapter, it comes back to the religious leaders. This time, it's the group of religious leaders that live up in Jerusalem, and they've heard these stories of Jesus from the Pharisees, and so they make a trek down to investigate. That's part of their job. And when they come down to investigate, they agree with the Pharisees that Jesus is, is a heretic. And in fact, they blame him or claim that he is possessed by a demon. So we've got these religious people who know their Bible who all of a sudden are up against Jesus. Second group, we have Jesus' family members. So again, back in chapter 3, we hear the story of Jesus and his disciples traveling from place to place, and they stop at somebody's house to rest. And the story goes on to say that there are so many people following him, he has so much work to do, he's healing people, he's talking to people, that he and his disciples don't even have enough time to stop and eat. So his family gets concerned. They're thinking he is overdoing this whole ministry thing. So they go to the house and literally try to restrain him and pull him away, not knowing who he is, not knowing the essence of who Jesus really is. What's fascinating about that are two things. One, they're trying to help protect his well-being, but they're also trying to protect their reputation because it was a culture very high in shame and honor. And if Jesus was going to go off the handle and act crazy, it was going to have negative implications and reflect badly on his family. So that's the second group. The third group are the crowds. More and more people are following Jesus around. He's almost become like a star, where you see him and everybody starts to talk. But they're just around to watch what he's doing. They are not making a decision to follow him or not. They're just kind of there. So three, three places that I want you to remember, okay? Hold on to that. Then we lead into our passage today where we have the parable of the sower that Brad just read. Let me tell you about this parable. So at the beginning of the story, Jesus tells the parable, and then he has a middle section where he talks to his disciples. So the parable is told to the crowds following him, and then he retreats with his disciple, and he has this middle section that we're going to talk about later. And then he comes back at the end, and he explains the parable. 
We're going to start with those two sections, but you need some information. So here's the main story. There's a sower, a farmer. He's out sowing his seeds. Some seeds fall on hard ground. Some seeds fall on rocky ground. Some seeds fall and get choked up by the weeds, and some seeds fall on good soil and reproduce. Need to tell you the characters. The farmer is Jesus. The um, seed is the word of God, the, the living word that Jesus came to proclaim, the kingdom of God. The soil is us. The soil are the hearers. The soil is actually the whole point of the story. In fact, the parable should probably be called the parable of the soil. What's so important about this soil, Mark sets up in, his, in the beginning of the parable. So he sandwiches some words and then puts the content in between. And when, um, in biblical times, when they write that way, they're saying, hey, what I'm saying at the beginning and what I'm saying at the end is really important. What he's saying is, listen! That's how it starts out. Listen! Pay attention! I've got something really important to tell you. And then at the end, he closes it with, he who has ears, let them hear. This parable is all about listening. And our job is to listen because Jesus sets this parable up as the parable that teaches us how to listen to all the others. So if we miss this parable, we're going to miss the rest. With me so far? All right, so I want to spend most of our time talking about these four kinds of soil and how it relates to us. First soil, there's a farmer. Let me tell you a little bit about how the farmers during this time spread their seed. Um, they would have a donkey and fill this big bag with seed and then lay it over the donkey so that's kind of on both sides and then poke a hole in the bag and then just let the donkey wander around and the seed would go everywhere. The other way that they would do it is a farmer would go out and by hand, he would sow the seed. But it would just go wherever. He's just kind of walking around, throwing it out and it goes wherever. That's the image Jesus wants us to have, is this farmer that's throwing out his seed. So Jesus is throwing out his seed. And the first set of seed lands on hard ground. When the farmers had their fields, they would make a path in the middle of the field or to the outside of the field so that if travelers came, they could walk on the path and not trample down the rest of the field. So imagine we're up in the foothills of up here, Foothills of Littleton, and we're on a hike, and imagine how worn down that path gets. And imagine trying to get a seed to actually germinate in that soil. You can't. It's hard-packed. That's what Jesus is pointing out about this first seed, this first soil, is it's so hard-packed that the word can't even get through. There's a uh, basketball player that retired uh, Kevin Garnett, and he does an ad for this headphone company. So this is just a picture of him, but there's an actual commercial. And the commercial is that he's driving to a game, and there's all these people um, hollering at him. So some are saying terrible things to him. Some are encouraging him, but he puts these headphones on so that he can't hear any of them. That's the image of this kind of hearing of the hardened soil is we put these headphones on because it blocks out all of God's voice. Some of you here today 
are the hard soil. You're doing whatever you can to keep those headphones on and not listen to God. And sometimes for good reason, or at least reasons that have, there are reasons behind why you're wearing your headphones. One of these oftentimes is something happened when we were kids, or you were a kid, and you had this bad experience, and so your heart is hard because you feel like nobody could really accept and love you, including God. So you stuck your headphones on. Some of you have been hurt by people. You have been hurt by relationships. Maybe you've been hurt by an organization. Some of you have been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by a pastor. You've been hurt by Christians who tell you the word of God, but they tell you the parts and use it and manipulate it in a way that's not true. So you have your headphones on because you do not want to listen to what God has to say. Your heart is hardening. And Jesus is having a hard time getting through because you've got your headphones on. That's the first kind of soil that Jesus wants us to be aware of. Second kind of soil is this thin layer of soil that's on top of rock. So imagine in Galilee, they have limestone that's all over the countryside. And in parts of the limestone, there's this thin layer that covers over the limestone. Kind of like if we go up to Rocky Mountain National Park, and you get up at the very top over at Trail Ridge, and there's these rocks, and sometimes stuff's growing out of there. That's the image, okay? So farmer is sowing his seed. It falls on this thin layer of soil, and it starts to germinate. But the, the roots aren't deep enough to do anything with the plant. So as soon as the hot sun comes out, it dies and withers withers and dies. Some of you are like this kind of soil. You came to Jesus because he sounded like a good guy to follow. You got excited about something good that happened in your life, and you thought, man, this Jesus is going to make everything better. Maybe you grew up in the church, and all you ever heard were the principles that you knew from a kid, but they didn't really deepen inside of you. What happens to that kind of soil is when life gets hard, when relationships are broken, when death occurs, there is nothing for those roots to hold on to. So you wither and die. You know, I was thinking about this kind of soil and this kind of hearing, this shallow listening. We do this all the time. How many of you have been on the phone listening to someone and they're going on with their story, and you've shot out a quick email. Or how about you're sitting across the table from somebody, and the phone bings, and you send a quick text. We are master multitaskers and shallow listeners at times. So my con most convicting story of this, or the one that I will remember forever, when my now 20-year-old son Cole was four, we were driving in the car down C-470, and he was in the back chat chatting. Like, I'm not sure he ever stopped talking when we were in the car. I actually started doing quiet time in the car <laughs> just to get him to stop talking to me. Because um, I, I was a young mom, and I was, you know, frazzled. Um, so, he, so we're driving down the road, and he's talking. And I have learned at that point to say, uh-huh, yep, mm-hmm, okay. Not listening at all. So that's what I'm doing, and all of, I, all of a sudden I hear him say, 
would it, Mom? I was like, ooh-ooh. So I rewound, and I said, buddy, I'm so sorry. I really wasn't listening, and I asked him to retell me his story. And he said, Mom, when you die, if I climb to the top of that mountain and put my arm up in the air, can you reach down so we can hold hands with each other? There's nothing theological about that, but that is one of my sweetest mom memories that I about missed because I was listening shallow, in a shallow way. When we do that as followers of Jesus and we're listening sh in a shallow way, we are missing what Jesus has to offer us about the kingdom of God. And in this passage, Jesus is saying, listen, don't do that. Don't be that kind of soil. Give me more of you. That's the second one. Third soil. Farmer's out, sowing his seed, and this soil lands in a field and grows up with the weeds. The Palestinian farmers apparently were a little bit lazy because they didn't go prep their soil ahead of time. So it was infected. It was infected with weeds. It was infected with thorns. It was infected with all sorts of stuff. But the seed still came up. I think this one's interesting because it looks like once the plant comes up, it looks like it's a healthy plant. But what we all know is that underneath, under the soil, that healthy plant's roots and the roots of the weeds are all intermingled. So it may look fine on the outside, but it is not fine on the inside. Some of you are the weeds that are get, the plants that are getting choked out by the weeds. You're the plant that's getting choked out by the weeds because everything looks good on the outside. Come to church, you might volunteer in the kids' ministry, you might volunteer out in the community, everything looks happy, but your roots are not healthy. In fact, I would argue that when we have that kind of plant, we're really pursuing our kingdom over God's kingdom. It's the image of building our own house instead of going with God who's building his. It's the image of creating this Lego home and choosing to live in that instead of this kingdom that God has offered us. I think there's a variety of reasons we land in this place. I think part of it is we get insecure that what God says about us is really true. So instead of trusting that, we begin to try to fix things on our own. If we feel powerless, we try to take power. If we feel empty, we try to fill ourselves up with other things, relationships or drugs or alcohol or sexuality. We do whatever we can to say the right things out loud, but inside we're really building our own kingdom. There was an interesting um, rendition of the Lord's Prayer that I found this week. And I'll just tell you the beginning of it that I thought was brilliant, the way that they captured this idea of this tension of building our own kingdom. So Lord's Prayer starts, um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we are trying to build our own kingdoms, when we pray that prayer, what we're really praying is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be my name. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
I think this one is really, these are all dangerous, but man, this one seems really dangerous to me because you got the weeds and the plants side by side. Who's going to win? We're actually vying for position over God's kingdom because we want to produce our own. So those are the three, those are the first three soils. Jesus uses those three and very clearly says these are not good. And then he contrasts it with the healthy soil. And the healthy soil, he says, is soil where the farmer goes out, he throws out the seed, and the soil is healthy. It accepts the word, it hears the word, it accepts it, and then it reproduces. Now, part of my question is, why was that soil healthy and the others weren't? Uh, there's a section in this passage that I want to go back to because it talks a little bit, gives us a little bit of a warning. And it's right in the middle. It actually, it's Mark 4, 10 through 12, but it's Jesus quoting Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. I want to tell you about this, um, and then I'll, I'll explain what this means. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Jesus is quoting one of the things that the Jewish people did consistently is they would reflect back on the past to remind them of the present and the future. A lot of their practices that they did were reflecting on what God did for them that were reminders of hope, but at times they also reflected back as a warning. This one is a warning. This is when the Israelites were, God was giving his word to the Israelites, and they were like, I don't need it. <laughs> I got it covered. And the consequence of that, the result of that, was eternal separation from God, which is not his plan. They made a choice not to hear the word of God. God is not making the choice saying, hey, this is a trick. <laughs> you figure the trick out and you can hear and follow me. That's not how he works. We choose not to be the hearers. So this little section is really important because Jesus has pulled his disciples away. And imagine the disciples are probably the good soil in the story. And he's saying, you got to pay attention. Don't be like the Israelites who heard the word and then they let it go. And we'll see throughout Mark, that is a temptation for the disciples over and over again, is to pull away from God's truth and God's word. So what does it look like for us to be the good soil? What can happen in our lives where we're not stuck where we were when we way back you know, at the beginning of our family reunion or at the beginning of our um, high school reunion, but we've been transformed. Where are we stepping in and allowing God to move and shift and shake us up? Where are we really listening to his word? And where do we need some help? As I studied this this week, it became convicting for several reasons. One was I kept thinking, does that mean three out of four of us aren't hearing the word of God? There's something really important in that passage. 
can you remember back which seed heard, which soil heard the word? All of them. Every single soil heard the word. That means that every person that he's talking to in this passage knew who Jesus was, heard what he had to say, and still made the choice to, to not pay attention. So conviction number one for me was, what does that mean? What does that mean for us as a body? What are, what are we missing out on because we're not listening? The other thing that was convicting was, what does that mean inside of me? Does that mean that 75% of the time I am not listening well, and maybe 20% of the time I am? Maybe. Where this really wrecked me was as I thought about the, um, the seed that came up and was choked out by the weeds. Because I think in my life, the message that comes up again and again when things get hard is you're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. That's a lie. Jesus' word says, my love and grace is sufficient for you. But when I can't hear it because I'm letting those other words get intermixed, I am missing the word of God. I am missing the fullness of the kingdom. When you allow your heart to be hard or your soil to be shallow or weeds to come up next to some of the things that look like fruit, you're missing the kingdom of God. It is only when we hear the word when we accept the word and when we let Jesus work through us, that true fruit comes out. So the challenge today is to figure out what it's going to mean for you and for me to shift what kind of hearers we are so that we don't stay back untransformed, but that we move forward constantly transformed. And this transformation is always an invitation from Jesus. He has not said, hey, if, you, if your heart is hard, you're out. The invitation to join the good soil is always there. No matter what decision you made, no matter what your life circumstances are, no matter how ticked off you are at God, he always invites us into the good soil. The question is, are we going to accept it? We went on our staff retreat last week, and Elizabeth Suarez here at church, and then Nancy Bouchard came and led us through some activities that were really impactful for us as a staff. And one of the tools they used is they um, put some images up on, on the fireplace of the house we were staying at and just gave us space to reflect. What would be a shame today is if all you did was heard the word and didn't take time or quiet to figure out what it means to accept it. So I'm going to give you some time to do that. We're going to reflect an image of the soil up. You can look at the image. You can close your eyes. You can journal. Whatever it means for you to really think about what God is saying to you in this moment, that's what I want to give you some space to do. So we're going to put this up. It's going to be five minutes, four or five minutes of silence. And I know that feels uncomfortable in a group, but I really think this is important for us. So I'm going to ask questions throughout that time, and I just want you to reflect on them. First one, what kind of soil fills my life?
Where is your soil hard, keeping you from hearing Jesus at all? Where is your soil shallow, tempting you to turn away from Jesus when life gets difficult? Where is your soil full of weeds, choking out the words of Jesus with the pursuit of your own kingdom? Where is your soil healthy, responding to the good news of the kingdom of God and thus multiplying? we think about spaces where we can change and transform thought it appropriate to end our reflection with the prayer of the sower let's pray forgive me dear sower for allowing roots of anger and bitterness to threaten and restrict even choke and strangle your freshly sown seed forgive me that the weeds of worry 
the pressure of a thousand things to do, the tyranny of the telephone and the demon of disappointment have denied your seed the nourishment it needs. Weed me, Lord. Recreate in me a heart that is ready at all times to receive your seed in whatever shape or form it comes. Grant me the further grace to bear fruit for your kingdom and your glory. Amen. As we reflect on the soil today, we know that it's only through Jesus and our relationship with him that that multiplication and that fruit happens. And so today in celebration of that, we want to take the Lord's Supper together. And we're actually going to do a communion liturgy um, corporately. So if you would please stand, and while you do that, communion servers can head to the back. I will read the leader section, and if you would join me by reading the section for people. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, we hear that on the night when Jesus was betrayed to the governing authorities, he had supper with his disciples. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. By doing this, Jesus declared that from his death, God would bring new life, new hope, and new creation. Through Jesus, we know that God knows us, cherishes us, and loves us. Through Jesus, we believe and trust that God is faithful and true. Come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are worthy, but because you are hungry. Not because you are ready, but because you are thirsty. Come because Christ invited us, saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. As Jesus took bread and wine and gave thanks before sharing it, so we also give thanks to God. Holy One, Spirit, Son, and Father, you unfolded time and space and created us to love and be loved, to live on this earth and tend it for your glory. With all your heart, we praise you and thank you. Holy One, author, word, and breath, you chose your covenant people and revealed yourself as holy, incomparable, and elusive, as liberator, judge, and compassionate, forgiving love. With all our heart, we praise you and thank you. Holy One, giver, given, and gifting. As we share this bread and cup, we remember how Jesus died for us, bore our sins in his body on the tree, 
defeated the powers of this age and lives among us here and now, breaking our dividing walls and giving us good news. With all our heart, we praise you and thank you. Our servers can come forward at this time, and when you are ready, please feel free to join in the elements. <laughs> 